Well, good morning, church family. Great to see you all kindly turning your Bibles to Psalm 34. We're going to be spending the next two Sundays looking at particular Psalms. If you drop your Bible open right now, it probably just naturally falls open to 2 Corinthians because we spent so many months in that book, but now we're done that series. We are going to start a new sermon series uh, the second week in September. We're going to do a character study on the life of David. And that's going to take us all the way through until Advent. But for this Sunday and for next, we're going to look at two Psalms, Psalm 34 this Sunday and Psalm 40 next. So I trust you have your Bible open to Psalm 34, which Christy read for us already. Now, if you have been a Christian for a while or if you're familiar with the biblical account, you'll know that Psalms is a collection of 150 different songs. They are songs to the Lord, some of them written by the psalmist and others identified as Psalms of David. One of the beautiful things about the psalms that we have in Scripture is that they cover the full range of human emotion laid bare before the Lord. As you read through all 150 psalms, you'll notice that the psalmist and David are brutally honest with their struggles, with their feelings, with their joys. They bring it all to the Lord. And friend, before we even get into Psalm 34, take this as a word of encouragement. Sometimes, as a Christian person, you may feel like you need to come to church or come to the Lord with your stuff all put together. You feel like you need to put on a happy face and put on a good outward smile and pretend that everything is okay. Well, the Psalms show you David lamenting. Him bringing his sorrows and his fears. Him crying out to God over injustice that he sees in his life and in his world. The Psalms are the full range of human emotion. But not turned in on itself. Instead, brought to bear before the Lord. So as a Christian person, when you feel all these different feelings, you don't just want to feel them for the sake of feeling them and then wallow in them and whinge, right? You want to take them to the Lord. That's what we're shown in the Psalms. And Psalm 34 is one of the more notable Psalms. First of all, if you ever undertake to read it in the original Hebrew, who's going to do that today before lunch? Uh, you'll notice that it is a Hebrew acrostic poem. It moves through the sequential letters of the alphabet in the Hebrew alphabet. Kind of cool. What's more notable about Psalm 34 is that it contains some of the richest, most memorable snippets that you encounter in the Psalms. You heard it when Christy read it. David saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. What a great psalm. So many little nuggets. And you know, Psalm 34 is beautiful and magnificent and devotional on its own, but this morning we're going to do some heavy lifting and some hard work. We're actually going to 
dive into the context of this psalm. And when we do, we will be able to apply the truth of this psalm even more so to our life and to our walk with the Lord. Are you with me? So get ready to start flipping around your Bible. I want you to begin by looking at the introduction to Psalm 34 in your ESV Bible. What does it say? Before the psalm even begins, before, before verse 1, it says, Psalm 34, Taste and see that the Lord is good. It tells us that this is a psalm of David. This is one of the psalms that David wrote. It says, When he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he, Abimelech, drove him, David, out. And he, David, went away. It gives us some idea of the context. Now, if you are following along the daily Bible reading that gets you through the Bible in a year, you will have read this account that it's referring to a little while ago in 1 Samuel chapter 21. So turn there, if you will, in your Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 21. This is the moment when David changed his behavior before Abimelech. Now, Abimelech is a general title for the kings of Philistines. Abi, father, Melech, the king. It simply means anyone who was king of the Philistines was referred to as Abimelech. It's kind of like the same way that the kings of Egypt were referred to as Pharaoh. That's right, it's a general title. So this is the moment when David changed his behavior before Abimelech. But which Abimelech? Well, we know from 1 Samuel 21 that it was the Abimelech who was named Achish. Right? Do you see that? By the time we get to 1 Samuel 21, we are at the point where the first king of Israel, Saul, his envy had set him on a murderous rampage seeking to kill the heir apparent, David. We've moved through the account of 1 Samuel and Saul's insecurity in his own leadership has driven him to gross sin. In chapter 13, Saul gives an unlawful, ungodly sacrifice. In chapter 14, he makes a rash vow. And in chapter 15, God outright rejects Saul as king of Israel. The definitive moment. From chapter 15 forward, we watch as the life of Saul spirals out of control and this loss of kingship is ultimately realized much later. Those are all sermons for another day. But, but when we're setting context here for Psalm 34, I want you to notice something. Anytime you read the Old Testament accounts of the kings, it gives you a broad sense of revelation. On the one hand, you look at it and you see how God behaves toward his people. Okay, But in a specific sense, every time you read an account of a king of Israel, you catch a glimpse of Jesus. You either see Jesus in that king of Israel in his brightest moments when he imperfectly is faithful toward God and you catch glimpses of the ultimate faithfulness of Jesus. Or as in the case of Saul, you catch a glimpse of Jesus in contrast or in relief. 
You see, when we track through the account of Saul, we see a king who he is so insecure, he is so faithless, that even when David was not actually seeking after his life, Saul goes after him to try to kill him. Well, that in us creates a longing for a better king. A king like Jesus, who even when people actually sought to kill him, he did not kill them, but he laid down his life for them. You see how that works? Saul is unfaithful and insecure in his leadership. Jesus is the faithful king whose restrained power is displayed by laying down his life, not trying to take life. So let's go back to 1 Samuel 21 in the context of Psalm 34. David is fleeing from Saul. Saul is seeking his life. And we're told in chapter 21 that David flees to a particular place. He flees to the land of the Philistines. What's the name of the city that he flees to? Do you see it there? Gath. That's right. David flees to the Philistine city of Gath. Now again, you might hear that name and recognize it or remember it. Have you ever heard that name of that city before in Scripture? Why, it's the hometown of Goliath. Goliath of Gath. And so there are other enormous themes that begin to emerge. You see, David, at the beginning of his sort of appearance on the scene, he interacts with Goliath of Gath in a way that is heroic and faithful. But here we're going to see something else happen in Gath. David flees to Gath. He leaves the land that the Lord has promised. And he goes to the pagan king Ahish for protection and for hiding from Saul. Now Ahish, we're told in verses 10 to 11, catches wind of the fact that David is in town. Look at verses 10 to 11. And David rose and fled that day from Saul. He's running away from Saul. He went to Ahish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Ahish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Do they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. You see, Ahish and the people of Gath rightly fear David. Now this is another theme that's going to come out when we move through the life of David. Sometimes we read the accounts of David and we have this sort of hagiographical saintly view of David where we never let him grow past being the shepherd boy. But make no mistake, David was a warrior king. So much so that it actually struck fear into the hearts of the Philistines when David arrives in Gath. I can only imagine Ashish, the king of the Philistines, he hears that David is in town and he begins to tremble and quake in his boots. Because he says, Saul has struck down his thousands, but David is ten thousands. Achish is like, oh my goodness, David is in town. This is, this is a big problem for us. David has struck down tens of thousands of Philistines, and now he's here. Oh, and don't forget, he killed Goliath. 
You've got to imagine Achish's conundrum. He has a Sophie's choice. On the one hand, he pays homage to and fears the sitting king of Israel, Saul, and so he should take David and turn him over to Saul. But on the other hand, he's scared spitless of David himself. Right? He's like, what am I going to do? Calamity has shown up on his doorstep. The odd thing happens in verse 12. Look at it. Achish and the Philistines were rightly afraid of David. But David feared the Philistines. Verse 12, and David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. David's afraid. He shouldn't have been. He should have remembered that it's the same Lord God who caused him many years ago to slay the giant from Gath. He should have put his hope and trust in the Lord. But instead, what did he do? I look at verse 13. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands, made marks on the doors of the gate, and let his spittle run down his beard. David is afraid, lack of faith in God, and his fear drives him to behavior that is unseemly and unfitting and shameful for the man who would become Israel's greatest king. Chapter 21, verse 13 tells us so. It's an understatement to say that this was not a shining moment for David. This moment never made David's highlight real. He didn't post it to his Instagram story for everyone to see. Right? It's a shameful moment. It's a moment of failure. Verses 14 to 15. Ahish sees David in this state and he says to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Well, so much more could be said about this passage in 1 Samuel. We could drill in and unpack David's faithless fear. We could look more closely at how Ahish unwittingly becomes an instrument in the hands of the Lord God. He will drive David out of his household and into the cave in Adullam. That's a story for our series in a couple of weeks. But the thing I want us to take away this morning, the thing I want us to drill into now, how does Scripture reflect on this moment? What is it that God in his wisdom wants us as his people to learn from 1 Samuel 21 that moment where David changed his behavior before Abimelech. What does God want us to know? We'll look at Psalm 34. Verses 1 to 3. A Psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. 
I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. There it is. It'd be far too easy for you and I to read Psalm 34 in isolation from its context. To hear those words, I will bless the Lord at all times. And imagine that David is singing those in a mountaintop high moment. When in fact, this mouth that is praising the Lord continually, this mouth that is blessing the Lord at all times, is the same mouth that is leaking spittle down into his own shame-filled beard. This isn't David at his best. This is David at his worst. At his most vulnerable. At this moment when fearful cowardice has overtaken him. He's afraid for his life. He's under this pretense of insanity to try to save his own hide. And that's when he says, I will bless the Lord. At all times, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Now that you have the context, you begin to feel the humanity of this passage. David's saying, my fearful, failing beard-wetting, slobbering soul makes its boast, not in myself, but in the Lord. He says, all who are humbled like me should hear this and be glad. Christian friend, perhaps you can find yourself in that this morning. You take stock of your life and you recognize that you are fearful. You feel as though there is an enemy that is pursuing your life to destroy you. And, and, and in that moment, you're so consumed with the fear of the thing that is pursuing you that you have forgotten those days so long ago when God slayed the giant. And so you've taken matters into your own hands to try to save your own skin. But really, it's just that you've failed to boldly trust in the Lord. And, and in those moments of fear, when we take matters into our own hand and, and we behave shamefully and we fail to trust in the Lord, the problem is that our fear is then compounded with shame and embarrassment. Hear these words from David. You find yourself there today. Oh, magnify the Lord, David says, with me. David's saying, in this humble state, let us exalt his name together. 
It's the same theme that we were pulling out of the second half of 2 Corinthians, this picture of God's grace in our weakness. That God's strength is made perfect precisely in those moments where we are most humble and most humbled. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. I will bless the Lord some of the time. I'll bless the Lord when everything's going great. I'll bless the Lord when I get it all together. Is that what David says? He says, I'll bless the Lord at all times. Even and especially when I'm in this humble, humbled state. Boast in the Lord, he says. You know, far too often we as Christian men and women, we wait until the trial has passed to praise the Lord. We wait until we're on the other side of it, the good side of it. And then we praise God for delivering us. But what David is inviting here in Psalm 34, when you find yourself in the midst of the moment, when the shame and the humility of the moment is feeling its most keen, when it is a moment that is not in your highlight reel, but it's a moment of weakness. Bless the Lord then. Praise him in that moment. And you will find that your attention shifts from your own spittle-drenched beard to the goodness of God. The circumstance may not change in the moment, but your heart will. You'll be reminded of the goodness of God. Your heart and your affections will be recalibrated even in that dark moment. And you'll remember that God is still the same God who slew the giant from Gath. You'll remember that he is worthy of praise because of who he is for you in Jesus. It's in those moments, David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. I want to move on to the next verses far more quickly, but before I do, there's this central truth that comes out regularly in Scripture, and it's this. If you want to see the gospel put on display in my life, don't look at me in my moments of strength, but in my moments of weakness. If you want to see the good news of God's love for me in Jesus, in beautiful neon lights, don't look at me in my moments of faithfulness, but in my moments of failure. That's Psalm 34. Because if you look at me in those moments of strength and faithfulness, if you look at David in his moments of strength and faithfulness, you might make the mistake of thinking that he was great. But in his moment of weakness... He says, I will bless the Lord. Verses 4 to 10. Remember the context. Not a shining moment. And David says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Friend, maybe that verse is for you this morning whatever state you find yourself in. Say with David, I sought the Lord 
And he answered me, and he delivered me from my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor, this pathetic man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and deliver him. Psalm 34 teaches us that the Lord answers those who seek him in desperation and brokenness. Now, if you've been a Christian for more than a minute, you know that God always answers your prayers, but not always the way you want. See, God answers the prayers that you would have prayed if you knew what he knows. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. You find yourself in a moment of weakness like David. There are two things that you ought to pray. The first one is that the Lord would deliver you and quickly. And the second thing you ought to pray is that God would grant you the strength to persevere. Seek the Lord, and he'll answer you. Verse 5, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. You know, there's nothing more radiant than a saint who's calling on the Lord in their hour of need. Verse 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. It's seldom on the mountaintops, but in the valley, when the experience of the Lord is its most sweet. Right? It's in those times of greatest desperation and greatest shame and fear. When you call out to him and you taste and see that he is good. It's in those moments that you find that God's care is never sweeter than, when you most, than in those moments when you most dearly need it. He's a refuge and he's safety. One of the hardest things about what I do as a pastor is also one of the most glorious. You know, I wish I could bring each and every one of you with me when I visit people in palliative care in the hospital. Uh, for a whole bunch of reasons. People who are at the end of their life and know it tend to have 20-20 hindsight clarity. And when you go and visit them in those moments, they often share with you pearls of wisdom that you, know, you can take and apply to your life. That's one reason. But the other reason, when you visit a saint on their deathbed, well, there are few things so radiant. I've visited countless people who are Christian men and women, and when they're dying, 
they look me square in the eye and they say things like, I am so thankful. They look at me and say things like, nothing bad can happen to me. I belong to Jesus. See, they have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. In the hard time, in the difficult time, they found a refuge and a safety that leads them to blessing and to happiness. That's what David's talking about. Verses 11 to 14. David says, Come, O children, and listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. David is reminding us of a hard-earned truth. Something that he has come to know through his own moments of failure and weakness. He's saying, Saul may have been chasing me and trying to kill me. Achish may have been set against me in his own land. But I still shouldn't have feared them. That's what David's saying. He's saying, please learn from my mistakes. I should have put my trust in the Lord. Verses 12 to 14. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. David's saying, um, please learn from my mistakes. It's so much easier to learn from other people's mistakes. He's saying, don't do the same things that I've done. Keep your tongue from evil and don't lie. Turn from evil and point it towards good. Seek peace. For the eyes of the Lord, verse 15, are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. In those faithless moments, you need to be reminded of that. That the Lord God sees you. And you may hear that and say, yeah, but RD, in those moments of failure, I'm not particularly righteous. Well, that's where the gospel is so sweet. Even in those moments where you have failed abysmally, your righteousness is still safe and secure because it was never about what you did anyway. You have a righteousness that was given to you by your Lord Jesus Christ. And that never changes. So in those moments of weakness and failure, you can cry out with David in Psalm 34 and say, all of these things I've done wrong, and yet the eyes of the Lord are towards me, his ears hear my cry because of Jesus. Verse 22. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of them who take refuge in him will be condemned. See, that's how David finishes his reflection on that moment where he changed his behavior before Abimelech. If there was ever a moment in David's life where he could feel a pile of condemnation, it could have been this one. And yet, David gives us a precursor to the gospel that is 
fully realized in Jesus. He says there's no condemnation. God has not come to condemn you, but to be a refuge to you, even and especially in those moments where you failed. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in the Psalms we read honest appraisals of human condition. But we also come to see your mercy and your grace. Lord, I pray that you would so grip our hearts with the truth of the gospel that faith would displace fear. That we would be pressed into praising you, blessing your name at all times. Lord, I pray that even this morning, everyone here at church who finds themselves up against hardship would seek the Lord and that you would indeed answer them and deliver them from all their fears. We pray this to the glory of your name. Amen.